Yeah. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have like a little bit. It's going to be like a mix between a testimony and a Bible study kind of a thing. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us, what we've done, what's been going on. And then we're going to talk about um, talk about the uh, scripture. We're going to open the scripture and look at some passages and we're going to look at some stuff. And really, it's kind of difficult for me to know what to share exactly because the whole our whole world has been changed so drastically that we could talk about a lot of different things. Um, and we're going to kind of like deep dive into just one area. And I hope that uh, we can actually do some spiritual battle here today. So anyway, um, um, what, uh, who am I? My name is Anthony, and my wife Irene and I, we got married almost 19 years ago. Many of you guys were at our wedding, and um, we, so we were married, and, uh, you know, we had both gone on a lot of short-term trips, and, um, and so you got, like, big picture story. I was born in California, and then my Parents took me to England when I was like one, and then ba- back and forth, we were, there were missionaries there um, helping people in England until I was about five, so I actually did have a British accent when I was like real young. That's what they tell me anyway, and um, then we came back, and we were in California, and we basically moved every year pretty much because my dad was working at different, at the Bible college, at different churches. I remember he was like working at a roller skating rink somewhere and I just remember being at that roller skating rink and then at the church and and uh yeah when I we were 8 my parents were like oh you know yeah let's uh go start a church somewhere else where there's less churches and they didn't feel comfortable to go to England so they thought okay New England that's the true story <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, we have these pictures, and I remember this so clearly. We had this old Buick station wagon, one of the ones with the electric window that goes up in the roof of it, you know, because going up. Some of you guys may even remember that. I don't know. You remember that, Larry. And, uh, and uh, you know, one time a tree fell on that station wagon, and it didn't even get injured at all. It was, like, made out of, like, a tank. But we... um. Sorry, guys, I'm, I haven't slept much lately, so if I just say something crazy, forgive me. So anyway, we, um, we, we came across here to, from, from California, the place of my birth, over to Rhode Island, and I grew up here until uh, I was 18. And then I went to Taylor University in Indiana, and I studied there, did my bachelor's degree, and um, then came back here and met Irene, we got married. I started working as a youth pastor in Connecticut for Calvary Chapel in Connecticut at Joe Pasco, which is church, um, where he's the pastor there. And, um, you know, it's not actually Joe Pasco, which is church. It's actually Jesus' church, but we just say that. I don't know why we say that. But, um, but I was working there, and but Irene and I put this map up on our wall, and we said, we want to go somewhere where there's less people who know about Jesus. So, um, you know, there's a lot of places in the world that don't have as much opportunity as we have to know about 
about Jesus, like Japan. Japan is less than 1%. Less than 1% of people believe in Jesus in Japan. Um, in, in, uh, in the, across what they call the 1040 window, across those lines, across Asia, you know, those mul- Muslim countries, you know, there's like very few believers there. Now there's probably more than we think because they're hiding, <laughs> you know. But, um, but still, there's not very many. And so, um, so we were like, well, where should we go? And I had gone during my bachelor's degree. I went to Israel for one semester. Some of you guys remember that. And I was there in Jerusalem. And some of you guys came and visited me over there. And that was amazing. And, um, and so we, um, we just felt, why don't we go and check out Israel so we went back. Irene and I went back. We checked it out for a couple of weeks. They said, come on over and be part of our ministry here in Jerusalem. And so we, we raised money, and we raised prayer, and we said, hey, we're going to go to Israel, and we're going to go for two years. And we said, guys, will you commit to financially supporting us for two years? <laughs> and, and now you've given us a lot more money than you ever intended to. <laughs> so... <laughs> For Jesus, right? Yeah, so we've been there 17 years, and it was, uh, it was a crazy thing how this all happened because you can't just go to Israel and be like, hey, guys, we want to come here so we can tell people about Jesus. Is it, can we just come in and do that? They're not really down for that. They don't really think that's a great idea, even though that's where Jesus was born. That's where Jesus preached. That's where he died. That's where he rose again. That's where he ascended into heaven. That's where he's going to return to, Right? But less than 1% of people in Israel believe in Jesus. That's very few. So in the city we ended up in, we started off in Jerusalem, but then we moved down to Beersheba. In your Bible, it might remember like a preacher reading Beersheba. That's the place where Abraham was and Isaac was and Jacob was, where they dug a well. Be'er in Hebrew means well. And so this... This, uh, this place, 250,000 people in that city. And maybe there's 500 people who believe in Jesus, you know. Maybe if you count all their dogs and cats, you might get to like 500. <laughs> but there's very few. And so we ended up being people's first Christian friends, you know. We just wanted to tell people about God's love for them. And, and I became a student. Now, many of you know me a long time. I've hated being a student since kindergarten. I remember crying in California, saying to my mother, don't drop me off at that place. I don't want to be there, Mom. And she was so mean to me <laughs> and left me there. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, no, I'm not kidding about not liking it. But anyway, um, anyway, I've been a student longer than many of you and probably all of you. I did my master's degree in seven years, and then I did my Ph.D. in nine years, (laughs) and I actually finished it, which is a miracle, and I just want to thank you guys for praying for me that whole way, Um, but now when I buy a plane ticket online, I can click that little thing that says doctor. I don't don't know what else I'm going to do with my Ph.D., but at least I can do that, you know, (laughs) so... (laughs) 
No, but I, I finished this, this, this degree, and, uh, and it's very interesting, Hebrew biblical poetry. But we, through all this time, you know, three years ago, we started a church, and we've been doing ministry. The, the, the platform for us to be in Israel, and, and I did my studies there, and I really was a student, and I did, this, did the work. By the help of God and by the help of my wife and my children who supported me all through this crazy stuff, you know, and anybody who's done any kind of high-level degree like that understands it's crazy. Hard work. But um, um, at the same time, we planted a church three years ago called Kehilat Hatsur, the Congregation of the Rock. And um, Tzur means rock, and it's one of the names of God in the Bible. Hatsur, the, ro- the rock. And so we chose that name. Um, and uh, and we started this church, and there was this young couple there who studied at Calvary Chapel Bible College in York, and they joined us, and they're Israelis, Israeli couple, who I began teaching this young guy how to play guitar. He was 13, and, you know, just through the years, he grew up, and, uh, and he loves the Lord, and he's just with us in this ministry. So, so we, um, we started that church, and as I finished my Ph.D., we knew, hey, we're coming to the end of this period right now, and things are changing for us. We don't really know where all this goes, but we haven't visited the U.S. for a long time, and um, there's a lot of people who've been praying for us for a long time, and we want to come back and tell them what's been going on. So that's what we're doing right now. Last week, we were in... Connecticut. This week we're here. Next week we're going to be in Massachusetts at Fitchburg, and we've been kind of been doing that a little bit, but we're going to start expanding to some of the other places we haven't visited yet. We're going to be all over, but we'll still be around once in a while. You'll see us. We're not like disappearing, but um, but uh, yeah, um, so we were looking for a bus. We ended up buying this really big RV, and we're going to put some bunk beds in there, um, and God just gave us a great deal on that. It's really amazing, and we've had some people help us. Alex helped me weld some stuff on there the other day, and, you know, a lot, just a lot of help. People have given us a lot of help, and so thank you guys for that, and um, so, <coughs> so these were our plans. We're going to come here. We're going to just go around and tell people about the church and what happened, and, and God's done amazing things. Like, Planting a church was something I did with my parents to help plant this church when I was nine. And I said to myself, I will never do that again in my life. (laughs) That is nothing I ever want to do again. That is something I experienced once. That was nice. I don't want to do that again, (laughs) you know. Because when you call something out of nothing in faith, that's what God does, right? God calls calls to existence things that don't exist in faith. And so he gives us this vision for something. And so then um, we realized that like three years ago, like we had to do that. Like if we didn't, we would be so disobeying God. Like we just had to do it. And um, so we did. And it was very difficult. But God has blessed it. And, And so this small church, small group, right? It's like 20 people maybe. Um, It's not a big group. But they are in Beersheba. And their pastor is Victor. Victor is the guy who I taught guitar 13 years <laughs> when he was 13 years old, right? And, and he, he became the pastor when we left. And so we would have 
you know, told you all these things, and that's what we would have said a month ago. That's what we would have said. But now, a month ago, four weeks ago, everything completely changed. And, you know, I, I know you know all the details. I'm just going to give a brief summary. But, but four weeks ago on Saturday, on the Jewish Shabbat, um, some guys from Hamas, that from Gaza, they came across the border fence and they came over by gliders. They came over by busting through the fence. They somehow exploded all the sensors along the fence at the same time. So they thought that it was a just a technical error. And so those guys were able to break in without anybody even knowing they came through. They came around the, um, they came around on sea and so if you know that the uh, geography at all Gaza the Gaza Strip is down this uh, the Mediterranean Sea and then Israel has a bunch of land above that along the Mediterranean Sea and we would go every weekend you know one of the things that I really like about Israel is that everything really stops for Saturday so you have this kind of weekly moment where all the stores are closed. You can't go shopping at the grocery store. You can't, most of the, there are people who still have to do some work, you know, electric companies and stuff like that. So there are some people working, um, but less, way less. And so your week has this kind of, um, what's that called? Cycle. Like a, it's like a weekly where, where you, you slow way down. And so we would have our services on Friday in the afternoon, and then we would, our church service, and then everybody could have their whole Saturday just to just chill out with their family, do whatever they needed to do. And we would go to the beach like almost every Saturday. The beach is like an hour away. So we're in Beersheba, and we would drive over to that beach that's right north of Gaza. And then we would go to this other beach that was right above that, or another beach right above that. And there were, there's, there's a bunch of beaches along there, and we just pick different ones, and we'd go there. And sometimes we went early in the morning. Sometimes we went late at night, you know, in the, not late, late in the evening to watch the sunset. Really, really nice, and a great way to kind of decompress after a week. But, um, but you know, those guys came in that day, and they killed everybody on that beach. And we could have been on that beach. You know, that we, we, that's, we've been there. We, we picked up this massive tortoise shell from there one time. You know, like we, 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 it's crazy to think about what those guys did. And they did inhumane atrocities that are very hard to even say in words. So my friend Victor, Friday night they had their service. They had a meal together as a church and then this Saturday morning, he's up and he's going to work 7 a.m. He's at going to work at 6.30. He's on the way. 7 a.m., they call him and say, you, you're being called for reserve duty. You need to come in right now. So he goes in, and he uh, gets his gear. But it takes a little while for all this to happen, right? So by the time he gets there, it's 5 o'clock. But he's in the middle of this battle, and, and it's right there. It's all happening right there in front of him. He's fighting for his life when la the night before he's just having a good time with the church, right? And then less than 24 hours later, he's fighting for his life. 
against these guys who show no mercy at all. And they just, they just want to kill anybody they can. And so, um, so what is this, what is this thing happening here? Um, you know, I could talk about Hamas and how they're an Islamic terrorist organization and how they do all these things. I could talk about that. I could talk about Iran. I could talk about all kinds of things, but I, I think we need to remember as Christians, there's more going on here than meets the eye. There's something else happening that's, that's past all that. So, so, um, so we're going to dive into that, and it might get a little bit heavy. I'm just warning you in advance. It might be a little bit heavy, but we're going to get into it. We're going to see what our part is and how we, can, how, we can, uh, how we can be involved in this in a way that's meaningful. And so, um, uh, yeah, so what happened was those guys came over. They killed 1,500 people in that morning in a matter of hours. And, you know, it's actually, they, they brought so much ammo and bombs and stuff. A friend of mine was um, trying to clear out the bombs that they left behind because they came through and they, like, they, tr- they booby-trapped all kinds of things. They left explosives everywhere. And um, just crazy. But, um, but uh, so Victor was called up. So what happens to the church there? What do they do? Well, I just became the pastor again, <laughs> is what happened. Because <laughs> there's not a, a lot of people who have the ability to help right now, because a lot of the guys got called up for service. So, um, so I'm like teaching on Zoom half the time, and we're getting some sort of guest speakers. So on, on Friday morning, if you want to come by and hear me preach in Hebrew, I'll probably be in the basement on Zoom preaching in Hebrew. But, <laughs> but, um, but, so that's what's happening, and that sort of totally changed a lot of the where I'm placing some of my energy right now. Um, and honestly, like for us, like our heart is just there so much that we couldn't not we couldn't not help, right? And and it's honestly very hard to not be there. And so thinking through things this week, we just felt like we need to go and take some short trips to support the congregation to help out. There's a ton of displaced families. There's places where they're making thousands of meals every day to help these displaced families, thousands of meals every day for the soldiers. The Israeli army called up 450,000 reservists. How can they possibly give them everything they need? <laughs> so a friend of mine who's a soldier, uh, he wrote me, all we have to eat is tuna. Do you have something else you can give me? <laughs> You wrote me that yesterday. So, so we want to, you know, try to help these guys as much as we can. And um, so Irene flew there on Monday. And she's going to come back tomorrow. And she is very, very happy that she went. And she'll tell you more about that, I'm sure. But, um, but she just felt like, because everybody over there feels like the whole world is turning against us. Because there's all this junk on social media and if you base your opinion on the the real world based on that virtual world (laughs) then you have a pretty bad opinion of the real world (laughs) right because the virtual world is not true it's just like not even actually the true world so anyway i don't want to get into that but um but um so she really was able to be there and they're going to have a they're actually probably 
They're probably having a prayer meeting right now, actually, because uh, they're having a prayer meeting Sunday night, and it's seven hours ahead, so they're, they're probably just about ready to have a prayer meeting tonight. So, all that to say, what's happening here? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to jump around just to three different places, and we're going to try to go into this and try to understand just a little bit of the spiritual implications of what is going on around us and what our part to play is. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says this. Finally, so Paul has written this letter, and Paul's in prison, and he's writing this letter. And he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. I'm going to just read that again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, right? Let's be strong in that power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So there are these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we can't necessarily see all of those things, right? We can't necessarily know what's going on, but there are and there, there are enemies, spiritual enemies against those who follow God. And so when when we are uh, when we're going through our life, we don't necessarily know that there is some sort of attack happening to us. Um. I was talking about this a little bit with Justin yesterday, and he was like, you know, every time I'm going to preach, I need to make sure that I remember that a whole week in advance because something is going to happen during the week before that I, I'm going to speak that is going to try to mess up my whole like, ability to talk. And I, I agree. That's absolutely what happens. But you don't know exactly what that all is and how that looks. I'm not saying that we should look around and say, you know, because there's some people who like exaggerate this a little bit, right? And they'll say, man, my coffee's burnt this morning. That's the devil coming after me. Man, you know, there's too much traffic. It's the devil. I, I don't think we should, like, look for the devil behind every bad thing that happens. That's not really what we're trying to do. Everything that makes us uncomfortable, everything that, that's not, it's not always the devil. Sometimes it's just the way it is, you know. It's just life. Man, my hair doesn't look good today. I think that every day. No. Um, so, so, but there is this, this spiritual reality, and it meets a physical reality sometimes, and sometimes you can actually see some of that stuff happening. And so let's just go back to Genesis for a second. Genesis chapter 3, very, the very beginning. And a lot of you guys know all this stuff that I'm saying, right? I'm just sort of putting it together a little bit, but, but you probably already know all this, but I'm just going to remind us anyway. So, um, 
chapter 3 of Genesis says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. There's this physical snake, right? It's a physical snake, serpent. More crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so we know at that point, like there was a spiritual death that occurred. That's called the fall of fall of humanity. We we were made perfect, sinless. And when we did this, when we disobeyed God, we lost that perfection. And ever since then, we all have fallen short of God's glory, right? We all, we all know that. I don't need to tell you that you're not perfect. You already know that. And, and you know, you don't need to tell me because I, trust me, I definitely know that already. <laughs> um, so, so here's this physical snake that there's, act, but he's actually got some sort of spiritual thing happening. It's actually the devil, it's actually Satan himself working through this physical thing, and, and he's trying to trick Eve to disobey God, right? So God has this plan for our life. He says, guys, I know really the best way for you. And if we read the scripture, we know that God has actually things he wants to say. God isn't just like, hey, whatever you want to do, just know I love you, just be happy. And he does love you no matter what you do. But he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave us where we are. And so he says, hey, I have a better life for you. I have things that I want you to do. I have ways that I want to shape your character. And so please let me move in, in your life, you know. This is what God is saying. And, and so he said to Adam and Eve, the best thing for you to do is not eat the fruit from that tree. You want to have the best life? I mean, think about the life they had. Perf- it's like such a great place to be. And, and, uh, and they, he said, just one thing, don't do that one thing, because that's going to wreck it for you. And they did anyway. And there's a lot of rules that we say, oh, well, God's just trying to put rules on me. Well, God isn't actually trying to put rules on you. He's trying to give you the best life that you can have. And so, so that's what, so, but he, the serpent is trying to cause Eve to doubt God's goodness, to doubt God's plan, and to disobey him eventually. And she fell for it. You know, she got tricked. And he used a bunch of, like, tricky words. Any tree in the garden, he's, he's tricking her, you know, and uh, claiming that he knows what God knows, but he doesn't really know what God knows. So he's, he's, he's trying to trick the woman, and um, he's attacking the people who have relationship with God. So now we're going to go from the beginning. We're going to go to the end. Genesis chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 12.
And Revelation chapter 12, it has a lot of stuff in it. We're not going to cover every single detail, but um, it kind of telescopes a lot of history through a spiritual lens. And, you know, there are other places in the Bible that talk about spiritual battles. It talks about the angel Michael and his battle with this prince, you know. And there, there's different places where it talks about these spiritual things that we don't see behind, with our physical eyes. Um, every now and then, the scripture talks about that. Every now and then we have this touch with that. But, but we don't necessarily see it all the time. So here in, ver- in chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So Revelation is a vision given to John. Where was John when he got this, pri- this vision? Patmos, prison. Prison in Patmos. So Paul was in prison when he wrote, and, and now John's in prison when he wrote, and he's, he has this vision, and it's this crazy vision, right? All kinds of symbolic language. So who is this woman? What, it, what, what figure in the Old Testament reminds you of 12 stars, sun, and moon? Joseph. Exactly. Joseph had a vision about the children of Israel, stars, sun, and moon, right? And so this, this woman, most people believe, and I believe, is Israel. That's who this woman is. So let's see what happens to the woman. Um, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. So this is the Christmas story right here. <laughs> Who's this male child being born? The Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Christ in, in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew, Mashiach in Hebrew. It's all the same meaning, exactly, the anointed one. And, and so here's this child being born from the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. She's giving birth to the Messiah. And the dragon, the dragon is a serpent, reminds us of Genesis, right? Like, so we're going back. So here's this spiritual thing happening. The enemy of God said, you know what? Here's this woman that God has been protecting. And in the Old Testament, she, she's, she's not been perfect. If you look at the book of Hosea. Israel is described as a woman who betrayed her husband. But God still loves her. And so she's like God's wife, almost, in a sense, right, in, 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 this, in, in the Old Testament prophets. And so here's this woman, Israel, giving birth to the Messiah. And that is one of the prophetic things that happened. Like, God could have brought a Messiah to save the world just from any old place, anywhere, but he wanted to make sure we would know it's the Messiah. He wanted to plan in ahead and say, you know, here's some prophecies expect this. The Messiah is coming. And that's what he used the nation of Israel for. So we start with, you know, Abraham. And he gave promises to Abraham. Through you, I will bless all people. How? Through the Messiah. And so we thank the people of Israel. We thank the Jewish people for 
bringing us all those prophecies, for taking care of the scriptures for so many years, and for bringing us the Messiah. Because because of the Messiah, we can join in in worshiping God because of his blood for us. So here we go. Here's this dragon, and he wants to kill the Messiah. (laughs) And he killed the Messiah. But the Messiah didn't stay dead, (laughs) you know, right? And he thought, I'm going to kill the Messiah, and I'm going to win. But he he wasn't quite smart enough, and he killed the Messiah and lost in that same moment. Because by the Messiah's blood, he he was conquered completely. So here's this Messiah born, Jesus who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. Jesus is coming to rule in the end. That's what Psalm 2 says. This is an exact quote from Psalm 2, ruling the nations with an iron scepter. And then her child, the Messiah, was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's verse 5. That's talking about the ascension, right? Jesus going up. He's he's next to God right now. Um, And uh, the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So there was this Massive cosmic battle, which we couldn't see, right? But a third of the angels became what we would call demons. They fell with Satan, and they were, were banished from heaven. They fell. And so it's not like yin and yang. You know, there's not like evil and good, equal power. That's not it. Even if there were no angels, God is still more powerful than everyone. But... There's still two-thirds of the angels with God, and, and there's a third that fell, though. That's quite a lot. That's quite a lot that were deceived by, by him. And those guys are, are fulfilling his wishes against the people of God. Let's see what happens here. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. That reminds us of Job. He has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, and woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So uh, the accuser of the brethren has been hurled down. And how did people overcome him? How do we overcome him? By the blood of the lamb. So he thought the blood of the lamb would give him victory, but it gives us victory. And by the word of their testimony, one of the most powerful things you can do is tell people, hey, this is what God has done for me. And so some of us, like, we used to tell that testimony a lot. So 
Maybe we should start telling that testimony again, you know. Let's tell people. How do we overcome? We tell people, this is what Jesus did for me. Can you believe that? Isn't it amazing? Like, we can tell that story. And they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They didn't love their earthly life so much. And that's what everything around us says. Love your earthly life. Be comfortable. Have the anything your heart's desire, anything your heart desires. Love yourself. Take care of your needs. But they, these guys are valuing, valuing their eternal life way more than their earthly life. And that's where we are. We're those people, right? We're the people who overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by our testimony, and because we don't love our lives so much as to shrink from death. We don't love this earthly life more than our eternal life. We're willing to sacrifice this eternal life, sorry, sorry, this earthly life to gain eternal life with God. And that's what we are. So, verse 13, the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, and he pursued the woman who has, who has given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from the mouth, then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So there's this dragon. He's been hurled to the earth. And who is he pursuing? The woman. Now, is the woman perfect? Is Israel perfect? Is Israel righteous? Israel has rejected Jesus. Right? I just told you, 1% of people in Israel believe in Jesus. But she's still the woman who gave birth to the Messiah. She's still that woman. And God has promises for her. There are some people who would say, oh, all the promises for Israel are now for the people who believe in Jesus. Well, that's not true. A very simple, very, very easy example of that is the, the promise of the land. God promised to Abraham, I will give you all this land. And you know what? It's so much land that Israel has never owned that much land. It's all the way into Iraq, to the, to the Euphrates River, down to the Nile. Israel has never owned that much land. When the Messiah comes, he will put all that into place exactly as it was prophesied. But for now... Israel doesn't believe in, in the Messiah, but she's still Israel. <laughs> she's still the woman. There are still promises for her. God still loves her at least as much as he loves everybody else, right? But there is this element where the enemy, the dragon, says, if I can harm Israel, then I've beaten God. If I could erase Israel then I will have beaten God. And so we see, sadly, thousands of years of deep anti-Semitism. And things have happened, even people who say they believe in Jesus. Some of the early church fathers even, Martin Luther, a lot of negative things that were said about Jewish people by people who said they believed in Jesus. And everything they said is against what Jesus would say. Everything they said is against what Paul wrote in the book of the Romans about the Jewish people. But you know what? We messed it up. And, and this 
So what I'm actually saying, to say it very clearly, is that anti-Semitism actually has a satanic root. And so when you look and you see Hamas, and you say, well, how could those guys come in and do the horrors that they did? Things that should never have been done. And they not only did it, they videotaped it. They streamed it live on Facebook. How could they do that? How could, what, what came over them? Well, I think it's kind of obvious. And another thing is they all took a lot of drugs that day. They, they found a ton of like meth-type drugs that those guys were taking that day that, that helped block everything. And, um, and, and they were just like taken over by Satan. You know, I don't even know if those guys even knew half the stuff they were doing that day. Now, not that we shouldn't support Israel against Hamas, like, because this is, this, is, this is bigger than that, you know. Hamas must be taken care of, and Israel's the only one who's going to do it. We're not going to go do it for them. Nobody's going to do it for them. They must be stopped. Those guys have to be stopped, and we can't have a ceasefire until it's stopped, because this has gone on way too long. But, um, but, uh, but this is something deeper that's gone on a long time. And right now, Hamas may be the tip of that, but there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on for a long time. And I don't need to tell you all the history of every anti-Semitic thing that's been done. You know, but as we see it going through the whole world, we know that there's this thing happening. And, and so, but it's not only that. So here's what's interesting. Verse 17, it says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who's that? That's us. We're the people who obey God's commandments. And ever since the beginning, the devil was trying to get people to stop obeying God's commandments, right? He was trying to twist it so that we would not have the life that God wanted for us. And now he is still doing that and he's trying to get us to stop following God, to stop obeying his commandments, to stop holding to the testimony of Jesus. So he's fighting us too. So in that way, we actually have a shared enemy with Israel. Now, I want to be very clear, Israel cannot be saved without Jesus, right? Israel cannot be saved without Jesus. So the most loving thing you can do for your Jewish friend is to say, Hey, there was this rabbi 2,000 years ago, really amazing Jewish rabbi. He was born in Israel, and he taught some of the best teaching you can ever imagine, and I want to read you some of it, <laughs> you know, and they'll be shocked that you're reading them Jesus. And they'll say, you're offending me. We don't believe in Jesus. And I say, but he's your Messiah. What can I do? I'm going to love you anyway, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So do it lovingly, right? Don't be offensive, but, but speak. Speak the name of Jesus. The name of Yeshua. So here's this enemy. He's coming after those who obey God's commandments. He's coming after us. He's making war against us, but he's also making war against the Jewish people. And we need to know that that happens. So what can we do? I know I'm going a little bit long. You with me for five more minutes? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, I just feel comfortable with you guys. So I just sort of. Sorry. 
Let's go back to Ephesians. Um, we're going to just go with Ephesians, and we're going to finish there. Back to where we were. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> um, so, talks about this in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day... Sorry, Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. For Israel, the day of evil came October 7th. And that day will forever be remembered in the Jewish memory, just like 9-11 is for us. In fact, if you proportionately look at the number of people who were killed that day, 1,500 people were killed that day, and there's about, let's just say there's 10 million people in the state of Israel, even though it's a little less, just for ease. And then there's say, this about 350 million in the U.S., so 9-11. How many people died? About 3,000. So if you multiply that out, this is like 15 9-11s, like if you compare to that country to our country. So it's a crazy thing. That is a day of evil, and it will be always remembered by them. But when the day of evil comes, how can we stand? By putting on the full armor of God. And in verse 14, notice how he says stand again and again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The readiness to tell that gospel of God's peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So it's interesting, he begins with the belt of truth. The belt of truth is God's word. That's the truth. And then he finishes with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, like, the Word of God is one of our primary weapons here. And if we remember how Jesus fought against the devil, he used the Word of God. So, I just encourage you, make the Word of God part of your daily, daily life. Make it part of, part of, your, part of the intake so that you, when, these, when the day of evil comes, when the temptation comes, you know what to do. So, um, he talks about that. And then... He finishes all that up with these verses, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may, de may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul has reason to be afraid. He's in prison because of the gospel. He says, pray that I may be fearless in proclaiming it. But he says, how do you wrap all this together? You say, pray. The Bible says, the prayers of, an effect, the prayers of a righteous person, and we're not righteous because we did everything right. We're righteous because Jesus' blood is on us, right? So we're righteous. We're those righteous people because the blood of Jesus is on us. So he says, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. And you might say, well, how can I help anybody in Israel? Well, you can pray. That's number one. Like, and you can actually, actually say that I'm doing work. I'm doing a spiritual battle right now for those people. And, um, you know, uh, we obviously appreciate your prayers for us. I'm, Irene's flying back to, from Israel tomorrow. I'm going to probably fly next Sunday. I'll probably go there for a week. And what we're going to try to do 
is we're going to go and just try to bring a little bit of support to them every now and then, whenever we can. And I was talking to a friend, and he said, I need able-bodied people who can help me and help take care of all these families. If anybody wants to go there and help out, just tell me, and I will help you to, to know how to do that, okay? Um, it is dangerous. You need to be like 95% able-bodied. That's what they want. <laughs> you know, you need to be ready to, to get things done. Um, but one of the things we haven't spoken about is that on that day, October 7th, there were there were 1,500 people who died. One of those was one of the sons of one of my professors. One of those was a friend who I sat in his living room and played music with him and told him about Jesus and the gospel, and he died that day. Now, I don't know what he ended up feeling about Jesus, you know, but at least I was able to tell him. And you guys helped us to do that. So, so <clears throat> what we're going to do right now is something a little bit different. We're going to remember that they didn't only take, they didn't only kill 1,500 people, they took 245 people into Gaza. And, you know, Gaza is this crazy place. They've received so much financial aid for so many years. And what they did was they built all these underground tunnel systems. Gaza is 320 kilometers squared. I'm the, I don't know what that is in American feet, miles, whatever, kilometers. There's 500 kilometers of tunnels under Gaza. <laughs> so when they talk about human shields, it's not just that like, they put people in front of them, which they do, but they actually, the entire population of Gaza is one human shield because they're underneath them. So how do you go in there? How do you, as the Israeli army, go into Gaza, go underneath all of these people who really don't want to be involved in this whole thing and take out the people you're trying to rescue. It's like the craziest, this kind of warfare is one of the most complicated things you could ever imagine. And I'm glad I'm not those guys in charge. But, but these guys here, they were, um, they were taken that day. And, uh, and I'm going to pass these out. I want everybody to have one. And, um, and we're going to pray for them. Thank you. Um, so I just want to remind you guys, like, in what we read in Revelation, the dragon was thrown down. He's not going to win in the end, right? We overcome him by the blood of our test, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, because we don't love our lives so much that we're willing to hold on to them you know we 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 have our eyes set in in heaven and and so i just want to ask you to just continue praying you know there's a lot of opportunity there's a lot of emptiness as people look and see what has happened what is going on and and so we want to pray that people will come to know to know salvation through yeshua the word for salvation in hebrew is yeshua and so it yeshua brings yeshua it's all like the same kind of uh, meaning, but but yeah, um, I'd like to sing one more song together. Can we do that? And if you got to go, feel free. I already know. But we're gonna sing one last song, and uh, it's in Hebrew, so you can join in. It's one of the ones that you guys might actually remember. 
from what I've done before, but it says our hope. We wait for the Lord, you know, and in the middle of all this stuff, in the middle of our trouble, in the middle of Israel's trouble, we wait for God. 